Welcome to the Digital Story Experience, a podcast made by university student storytellers. Tune in and indulge as guests share their stories based on a different topic in each episode. Enjoy the podcast where not one story is the same as the other. Hi, I'm Doreen McIver Crisco. In this episode, we're talking about surviving isolation. In mid-March, Alberta went into lockdown to mitigate the spread of the novel coronavirus, and people were asked to isolate and social distance. My guest today is a woman who has found a way to bring light and happiness to complete strangers with small acts of kindness. This is Chelsea's story. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Today's episode is on surviving isolation. And yeah. before we get into that, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I live in Edmonton, Alberta. I own a business, a hair salon uh, downtown in the brewery district. I've been a stylist for 16 years as of last month. Uh, I love it. It's my passion. That's amazing. And you also have another business too, right? I do, yes. I um, I own a hair accessory line called Tico J, which is named after my dog. And uh, I started making locally made hair accessories, which were scrunchies. Yeah, it was, it's been a great venture with that as well. Awesome. So as a business owner and a hairstylist, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you've been impacted by the lockdown? Since March 20th, we have been permanently shut down, and we were just reopened on the 14th of May. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a whirlwind. Of course, I've had 60. Today is my 65th day off, but uh, yeah, it was concerning. It was sad because you don't have that social interaction with people anymore so sitting at home alone was uh, a bit tricky for me and myself and I know my other partners were were used to being social and bubbly and yeah it it took a little bit of a downturn for us mentally for sure. What are some things that you did to help manage that effect on your mental health and well-being? Um, well it, it took me a few definitely a couple weeks to just kind of get out of the funk of everything going on, you know, watching media and listening to the news and not seeing an outcome of of COVID. But uh, I started to exercise a little bit and then I started to focus more on my other company, Pico J. So um, trying to get some sales through that and, and working on a little bit of retail sales with the salon really helped still being able to be social with people with doing um, uh, drop-offs on their doorstep and and having a little bit more interaction with their clients that way. That's great. I noticed a couple of things that you had shared through your social media, and I saw yeah. that you had spent some time with your grandparents. And, uh, I have. Yeah, can you tell me a bit about that? It's, a, it's kind of a bittersweet day today. Um, my grandpa just started his first day of chemotherapy. He was diagnosed with lung cancer during COVID. So with my first initial few weeks off at the salon, I decided, 
well, I have no symptoms. I feel good. So I decided that I would take it um, and go and, and visit my grandparents who live out of town. And so I went there for about 10 days just to take care of them, made sure um, they were doing okay and, and keep them company because, you know, with with seniors especially, like, they they can't go anywhere or do anything. So I went out and did their errands and got their medication for them and just make sure they had a a positive vibe in the house. That's amazing of you to have been able to do that in the beginning. It seems to me that you're committed to kind of give back. Uh, just tell me a little bit of what you've been doing to kind of fill that need that you have. I had a pretty big stock of uh, my Tico J scrunchies and with the COVID and everything, we weren't. I wasn't able to reach out to my retailers, obviously, because everyone was closed. And uh, I decided, well, if they're not going to be used or I'm not going to be able to wholesale in the near future, I decided that I would uh, make a post about giving free scrunchies out to um, nurses in Edmonton. Uh, I feel like a lot of nurses were very stressed out in the first few weeks of of the unknown of trying to cope with what was going on. So um, a lot of nurses reached out to me, made a nice big sign, and I put it on my doorstep, thank you, nurses. And um, all these frontline workers started to message me, and girls were picking up the scrunchies. And I really made a lot of people's days. And I, I know a lot of nurses messaged me personally saying, you know, thank you. This was just a small little pick-me-up. We're all stressed out, and it, it just made me feel better. And so I think I was close to a, at least 100 nurses that came to pick up. And you have, you did one other little thing. Can you tell me about the video? <laughs> the video. <laughs> yeah. So um, <clears throat> I was tagged on a, a viral post about a little girl, Annalise, who uh, wanted to get a shout-out from Connor McDavid. Uh, for her birthday, it was her seventh birthday, and she had an Oilers-themed birthday party. Obviously, they couldn't have an actual birthday party, so they did it with just close family and friends. And she had made a post um, with a poster board saying she wishes that she could get Connor David to give her a birthday shout-out. And um, I, I have a, a, a personal friend that has a connection to Connor, and I, I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, I... Is there any way that maybe you can make this happen? And uh, three days later, I think, um, I was given the video. Good birthday, Annalisa. Uh, it's Connor McDavid here. I, I saw your message. Um, looked like uh, you had a fun birthday party. Wish I could have been there, but obviously with everything going on, um, you know, obviously couldn't make it. So just wanted to wish you happy birthday and uh, go Oilers go. Really appreciate him doing that. And I feel like he uh, he's a role model for a lot of um, youth in in all around the world, but uh, he really made that little girl's day and year. <laughs> I know. I saw the video. It was so adorable. Yeah. Like her reaction it was. was priceless. <laughs> her reaction what? brought a lot of people to joyful tears. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, so? What prompted you to say, "Yeah, I want to help." I just felt like if I could reach out and possibly make that happen, I might as well try. And to just to enlighten somebody's day, and I feel like it enlightened a lot of um, 
people that were following that post and it just it put a lot of smiles on people's faces and that's what that was the best part of it all why why is it important for you to pay it forward with so much negativity in the world i feel like it does something for me as well um i've always been the i'd love to be the gift giver not not the receiver so i've always been that type of person and so it makes me more than happy to to give somebody something rather than receiving it so it's just my thing at the beginning of our talk you were saying that that was something that you had missed in the first few days of this isolation which is that social aspect what are some ways that you've been able to incorporate more more of that social aspect despite social distancing <laughs> I've really reached out to a lot of um, long-distance friends um, because we have the time. Mm -hmm. uh, before, I feel like a lot of us were so busy, 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 go, go, go. And I think it put a lot of perspective into a lot of people's heads that, you know, slow it down, reach out to friends, reach out to – I've even reached out to clients to see how they're doing, vice versa. So I still manage to keep um, a connection with people. I reached out to a lot of people that I haven't talked to in a long time. So it gave us some time to, like, do the, hey, how you doing? Mm -hmm. And it's just given me a, a mental slowdown, too, of just being like, you know, um, don't fret the tough stuff. And, and I, I'm definitely going into my business with more of a, a chill vibe, I guess you want to say. And, you know, being more relaxed, being more easygoing. I've always been very easygoing, but I feel myself now that I'm going back into my business being a little bit less stressy. You focused on more of what's important, right? Absolutely. And it's just, it's one of those big shockers, like it's an eye-opening moment, aha moment, if you will, because it really puts in perspective what's important and what's not. Absolutely, for sure wanted to thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today. You're very, very welcome. And thank you for thinking of me. I will end today by expressing how much Chelsea inspires me with her kind and generous spirit. Chelsea, you bring so much joy to others. Thank you. My name is Luis Caturo, and this is my episode on isolation. I grew up riding bikes with my friends. We rode around the neighborhood all day and came home when it got dark out. Those bike rides are what I think about when I remember my childhood now, and I still catch up with those friends when I get the chance to. When I was 12 years old, my family immigrated to Canada, and I had to leave my beloved bike in Philippines. My parents bought me a new bike at some point, but being in a new place where I didn't know anybody made riding lonely. The weather and seasons didn't help either because in Edmonton you only get a few weeks worth of good biking days in comparison to Philippines. In a span of three months, I went from riding my bike every day to not even looking at it. During this quarantine, I finally treated myself to a new bike. I had been thinking about it for years, but between the time when I stopped riding my bike and now, I started riding skateboards and figured that it's all the same, so I didn't bother with getting a new bike. It's been so long that this is the first bike I'm buying with my own money. 
I swear there's some sort of an exchange rate for dollars when your parents buy you something versus when you use your own money. For some reason, things are more expensive when you have to pay for it yourself. Anyway, the bike that I ordered got delivered on Saturday. I rode it around the neighborhood for an hour, which was all my lungs and legs could take. My lack of athleticism aside, it was a really nice ride. There were people out social distancing, smiling and nodding at each other as we crossed paths. Though I rode my bike by myself, that bike ride made me feel a sense of community with my neighbors. We are all slowly trying to ease back or retain a sense of normalcy in our lives despite the uncertainty we have been facing. I caught up with my friend Jared to talk about his experience with isolation and the pandemic. Jared is a second year communication student who has an interest in video games. I've been playing a lot of video games and being stuck inside hasn't been very troubling for me. It's been very fun, mostly because I've been lucky enough not to be sick. So not going out or doing social things hasn't been a big problem for me because my normal habit would be to play video games inside anyway. I don't, I don't necessarily feel isolated now either, I suppose. Like this is like, like I'm pretty introverted as it is. So I feel like I thrive in this isolation. Have you picked up any new hobbies or new interests? No, I've basically just stuck to what I like to do, I, I suppose. And then like now that I'm going back to work soon, uh, I guess it's just, I'm gonna have to try to be more cautious when I'm out. Well, knowing what you know now, what would you bring to this isolation back in March when it all started? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think people are being too uh, frivolous with it, I think is the word I'd use. I think that people are choosing to go outside and be public and gather socially when it's still much too early for that, even now. So in March, I think it would have been good to have an even more strict or enforced hand on the matter so that people would have the right idea from the start. Well, isolating right now just means that like you're not able to go outside and do the regular social things that people would normally take for granted. And that part I understand, not being able to go out and see friends or uh, do the things that you would normally do on a regular day. But for me, like I'm perfectly capable not having those things. And I'm mostly just happy and lucky that I'm healthy. Like I'm, I'm less worried about when I'm gonna be able to go like go to a party than just being safe at home. How do you think who you were last year would have defined isolation? Would it be lack of connection to other people, lack of connection to the world, maybe lack of connection to yourself? Maybe lack of connection to other people, because I think that pretty much characterizes what we're going through right now. I think isolating in terms of social distancing pretty much sums up everyone having to be in quarantine, whether that's locking yourself in your room or even if you're going outside on walks or something like that when you're still social distancing, I think that it's still important to be cautious about being around others at the same time if, if you're in public. So 
we are still isolating even if we're not behind closed doors. Despite social distancing, do you feel more or less connected with the world in general? I think there's a connection in terms of the fact that everyone can sort of rally behind this as something we're all going through at the same time. Whether or not you're with others physically, I think we're all sharing in the same sort of uh, tr trepidations that people are having right now. Like some people are sick, some people are healthy, but like to our own degrees, we're all experiencing this. Well, have you seen that video of Gal Gadot or whatever? Singing Imagine? With all yeah, the I have. People. What do you think about that video? I think it's like obviously the reception to it was not great. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's obviously well-meaning, but I'm, I'm not sure why the reception to it was so negative. I think people were criticizing it because of the lack of direction. Because the, the, these are all people that are really well off and they're saying they're singing this song about like having no possessions in the middle of a pandemic where we all get to stay home but at the same time they get to stay home at really nice houses and all these things and it was people found it to be tone deaf because it's like it, they didn't really think about the people who would have to consume it who were getting fired from their jobs and all that it goes like this Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try Also, you mentioned that you'll be back at work soon. What are your expectations? Well, my work opens again on um the 25th so this Monday and there's a lot of precautions that are going into it like we've met to talk about uh, wearing gloves and masks and the fact that we're lessening the interaction that we're gonna be having so there's gonna be a limited amount of customers that are able to come in the mall but there's there's still a lot of problems that we have with it and my managers expressed that she thinks that it's still too early to be opening retail stores in the mall, even though that's what's happening. So I think that it's not the greatest idea, but I understand that like society's rehabilitation is gonna happen at some point. And like the way that Indigo is doing it, for example, is we're bringing people back in waves. So we're only having like four employees at a time, I think, coming back in waves so that there's less of an interaction between all of our staff members and customers. You can you can still shop online and, and all of that, but I think what it is is people are like inherently averse to the isolation that we're in and people take it as like like freedoms being robbed of them if they can't go outside and do what they would normally do. And so when, when things start opening up again, people are going to freak out and jump at the chance. Society will change now that we've experienced this as a whole. I think I think some things will stay the way that they are now. Like I think that we've found potential benefits in how we've been communicating through social distancing. Like I think a lot of the online uh, communication that we've been having is going to stick for the most part. Like whether I, whether or not I think that like that's 
like more beneficial than it being in person. But I think like people are gonna still want to go out and do social gatherings and functions like they normally would. But I think a lot of the things like entertainment wise where like videos and like movies are being like sent straight to streaming devices, I think that's gonna be more prevalent in the future instead of movie theaters. I think there will still be cinema in terms of people going out to movie theaters as that like social function. But for the most part, I think that like they're gonna get the data on this and see that like people watch movies more often from home. So I think that could have an effect on that. A few months ago, I read a short story called More of the You That You Already Are by Raphael Bob Waxberg. The story was about a guy who worked in a theme park and his hardships stemming from his work and personal life. The story plays on integrity and what we value as individuals, as well as how we are valued in society. But despite this, we make sense of ourselves based on the decisions that we make. I guess in a sense this whole pandemic has made things more clear for some of us, from our privilege of being able to stay home, being healthy enough that we can care for others, and who we are to ourselves when there are few distractions. The pandemic has really just made us more aware of what we already are. Thank you to my friend Jared for being a part of this episode and thank you for listening. I think I was in a lot of denial about COVID-19 when everything was really blowing up in China. And then next was like South Korea and Italy and Iran was the next place. And my husband asked me, you know, like, are you, are you worried? I was like, no, I'm not worried. It's not going to be a big deal. In China, like the living quarters are a lot closer together. Like in Canada, we're so spread out and we're so far away from this. It'll be like everything else. It'll die out eventually. My name is Elena and I'm currently 27, living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I am a music teacher and I'm married. Like Elena, most of us did not see COVID-19 coming. When the news started reporting cases of an illness affecting people on the other side of the globe, we continued on with our daily lives and did not expect to see the global pandemic we are battling today. Schools were closed, or it was announced that schools were canceled on March 15th, um, which is a day that I think will always stick out in my head. I was at a friend's house who was also a teacher and we were just chit-chatting and then we both kind of glanced down at our phones. And we both had like between 50 and 60 notifications because our school group messages were blowing up because everyone was like, oh my God, you guys, school is canceled, school is canceled. What are we going to do? Like, it was crazy. What have been some of the hardest things that have come along with COVID-19? Um, just general anxiety is super fun and like existential dread, lots of that. Um, lots of worry that like we're never going to get out of this. This is going to be the rest of our lives, which I know isn't true. But like once you get into that anxiety spiral, it's so easy to convince yourself that you're never going to be able to go back to normal. Like I worry about being able to go back to work. 
going to the grocery store, I'll, I won't say that going to the grocery store never gave me anxiety, but now, especially in March, so we're in May now, but especially in March, going to the grocery store felt like the most stressful activity. Everyone was really, really tense. There were tons of shelves that didn't have any food or didn't have, you know, basic needs like toilet paper, cleaning supplies, stuff like that. It's better now, but that feeling was so immense. That was something that I guess I knew was going to come, but it was so unexpected at the same time. So what is something that has helped you deal with your anxiety? Seeing friends from a distance. So we've been really careful about doing that social distancing, the two meter rules, but seeing actual humans in person and not through a screen has been such an absolutely massive mood boost for me. And I can feel it every time I spend a little bit of time with people that I care about and who care about me and I get to see them in person, I have this immediate, sometimes almost intense energy boost. So starting to get those back into my life in a safe way was fundamental, honestly, in helping keep my anxiety from taking over. So what have you seen as a societal response to COVID? Are people taking it seriously? In the groups of people that I happen to be around, there's like a really clear distinction. But there's, you know, the definite, the group who's trying their absolute best, you know, they're limiting their time going to the grocery store, they're limiting their time in public spaces, uh, you know, washing your hands a ton instead of you know, hanging out with your friends like you normally would, you social distance or you do digital. Um, but then on the other side of that, there's people who don't care at all. And I had the most frustrating conversation with a friend who I said, okay, say you got it and you were fine because you're young and you're healthy and whatever. But wouldn't you feel guilty if you pass that on to someone else who couldn't fight it because this individual hasn't social distanced at all, hasn't, hasn't followed the rules at all. And their answer was, well, if they're high risk, they should stay home. And so I think that's the thing that really stood out to me is there's this real sharp line drawn in the sand between those who are looking at this as I, I have to do my part for the whole, this isn't about me. And the other side of, well, I would probably be fine, so kind of screw everybody else. They need to take care of themselves. Just this last weekend was my mom's 70th birthday, and I had to miss that because she's six hours away, and I didn't feel comfortable driving that far, staying somewhere that isn't my place, um, even though like my husband and I were healthy as far as we know, you know, there's been research on asymptomatic carriers and such. So that was by far the hardest because, sorry, um, missing such a huge milestone in my mom's life and being so, so far away. And I, there was 
real competing feelings of guilt. The guilt I would feel going down and potentially risking spreading it to other people because heaven forbid I I do have it and I don't know. And then I stop at a gas station and I spread it, you know, the, the fear there. Um, and then the guilt of missing that and the guilt of missing being there with my mom on such a big day. I saw this quote that I thought was so, so beautifully put. And it said, we're, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And I thought that was a really beautiful way of talking about how because of privileges that some people have over others, like we are all in this same crazy situation, but some of us are on a yacht or some of us are on, you know, a Navy grade ship and some of us are on a dinghy and how our lives are impacted is completely different and we have to respect that and very much, I think, acknowledge that. The person that I have seen it affect the worst, it's my, my father who, by all accounts, is in a very, very safe situation. You know, doesn't have to worry about funds, um, is not isolated by themselves, uh, is in a country that is safe, is in a province that is safe and also in an area of the province that is really safe. But he has depression that has been not dealt with for a really long time and he had just retired when we were told we need to start going into like a quarantine lockdown kind of scenario. And so for a lot of people, retirement is hard because you suddenly lose your daily routine. And retirement for someone who has depression is really hard because now you have lost some of that motivation to like get out of bed and do things. Well, I have to get out of bed and I have to eat breakfast because I have to go to work kind of thing. So he lost all of that. And then he lost his ability to be around specifically his family. So all of his grandkids and his daughters, myself included. But so for my for my dad, this was a really, really scary like month, month and a half of like really severe depression and fear and anxiety. But he's probably the person that I have seen it impact the most. And so in that, you know, he is in a different, he is in a different boat. It would almost be like he had you know, the Navy quality boat because he has everything going for him, you know, no financial worries, lives in a safe place, etc., etc. But there's holes in it because he has mental health issues that he has, he has never dealt with. And so his boat was slowly leaking despite having, you know, a lot of potential to be in the absolute clear. It just wasn't the case. So for the people that are too young to remember their experience in COVID or the people that aren't born yet that will be reading about this in their history books, what do you hope that they learn from our experience? I really hope kids in the future can take away the theme of, and I hate the word blessings. I hate it so much. It's like one of my pet peeves, um, but really do acknowledge the 
the blessings, ugh, the goodness that you have in your life. And for some people, this is the hardest thing realistically that they've been through. Like I will say, this is one of the hardest things that I have been through in life. There is so much goodness in our lives still. And we have to acknowledge that all the time. And I think there's probably a lot of people who are now, like myself included, finding like the simple joys and the simple gratitudes. We live in a community of people who care. And my goodness, that goes so far. Those are like the simple gratitudes that I have that I took for granted because I've always lived in a place that is safe and I've always lived in a place where I am you know, respected as a human, cared for because I'm a human. And again, that can get really dirty really quick and we can, you know, dive into privilege there. But a lot of us have experienced that. That is a given that we are not grateful for and realizing how much we have to be grateful for living in the country, in the situation that we live in is monumental and it absolutely should not be overlooked. If you had to sum up your COVID experience in one word, what would it be? I think realistically, the word is overwhelming. Because you can be overwhelmed with a lot of feelings. And there, ha I absolutely have been overwhelmed with a lot of negative feelings, don't get me wrong. But I've also been overwhelmed with some really beautiful, wonderful feelings. I'm an emotional person already. I can't go on social media without seeing people doing wonderful, beautiful things and tearing up. Like I'm tearing up now, that's like... <laughs> so I think overwhelming is absolutely, absolutely the word to, to summarize it and kind of the beauty of that is it isn't just a negative word you know you can be overwhelmed with every emotion with gratitude with love with hatred with anger with fear right it is a word that changes within every context and i think that perfectly suits this garbage fire but also like kind of incredible situation that the world has has been again incredible being it there is a lot of negativity incredible can be used to describe anything um and at this point it's a matter of recognizing all the hardships on every single level doing your best to try and prevent the spread and prevent things from getting worse and being grateful for those things those elements of goodness that have come from it Hello, this is Ruth and you're listening to another segment of the Surviving Isolating in Place episode. I'm here with my guest Chantal, who's been a friend of mine for nearly seven years. She was previously living in Canada, but is now based in the Philippines and is the general manager of an international American diner. Welcome to the show, Chantal. Oh, it's nice to hear from you again, Ruth. It's been a while. It's been many years since we've seen each other. And it's really nice to have this right, opportunity to talk to you. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into it. Tell us about what lockdown has been like for you in the Philippines. 
living in Canada and back here is all totally different because it's really different how we live here and how I used to live there. Here, it's pretty much difficult because it's really hot. We don't have seasons, we just have weather. It's 31 degrees, but feels like it's 43. It's the most challenging part, having this type of situation in a summer break. So that It is of- our summer break. Technically, we skip summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just summer all the time. <laughs> like summer or just a monsoon, all just rain. Uh, everybody wished to have rain because it's, it's a little more refreshing, but they said that that the virus and the bacteria grows when there's moist mm-hmm. and it dies when when it's really hot. Even the beaches here, um, tourist spots are not allowed. You could get, you know, you could go to the prison, you can handcuff or detain you somewhere for violating a law. It's broadcasted by the government. But if you live by the shore and it's a uh, non tourist spot then it's fine they just they just announced that a few days ago but for two months we're not allowed to go to the beach not even to the people who live just by the shore we're not allowed to be fair to everybody else Mm -hmm. for two months they they held this liquor ban so everybody's going crazy oh no (laughs) like because i know here everyone's been relying on alcohol to help them get through it and I can't imagine not even having that leisure drinking at home. I think it would be better to have it removed just a few days ago, like a week, I think a week already. They took it out and everybody says, yeah, because since our president or our current president has been learning a lot of stuff, how the Western world has been doing and how the country had progressed because of this type of income like fairly done. So they've been doing that and then thus also alcohol and cigarettes. It's the same. So they jacked up the taxes and everybody says, yeah, just put back the alcohol buying stuff, just no public drinking. Besides, it will help the the economy gain more funds to supply or whatever to keep the country going without borrowing from the World Bank right mm-hmm. so that has been a current situation now it's 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 tough what have you been doing <laughs> to keep yourself mentally sane throughout all of this here they live by texting doing cell phones so doing tiktok like yeah you did some tiktok too <laughs> I was so tempted, but I was like, no, I am too old for this. It's so embarrassing. I don't even understand what some of the kids are saying these days. Oh, I'll just stick with Facebook. I only listen to it or watch it. Said I also did some gardening, planted some squash, avocado, some chives. That's so nice. <laughs> I wish we could plant avocados here. So you're... Food source is much more sustainable, I assume. You know, just light and water and just a few soil pots. That's it, just food, food tending. Um, for the first few weeks from being locked down, 
totally stop everything. People have been fixing the house, general cleaning, doing all those houseworks, and um, after that, there's nothing left to clean. Because <laughs> they've been doing that, like, yeah, and then school stopped. Oh, some yeah. Some of the foundations, yes. How so is that and the kids? You too? Yep, no school here. School's been out. We've been doing everything online. So I can't imagine how it's like to have kids right now. I don't know how you're keeping your boys busy. Yeah, so it, it's, it's quite you know, tough for the kids. And I can't imagine for those families who have four kids. You need four laptops? They can't share? Is, I guess all the classes are at the same time, right? I never thought exactly. about that. What if one family has three kids? goes to the same school everybody just you know you need to go online to finish the quarter how could you finish online everybody needs to be present at 7.45 but good thing my eldest son who's 15 goes to a different school mm-hmm. so it kind of worked for the two boys with a totally different time schedule a totally different procedure how to end the school year mm-hmm. but those kids who go to public school is really hard. It's they even walk going to school. They can't afford to have um, laptops or even even smartphones. That's really tough. Have you been doing some of your own teaching with your kids? Yes, of course. Like um, my fifteen-year-old, like he asked me questions. How has that been? Oh my god. Math. Math is really my trouble. So I, I don't touch that area. I, I ask know. my sisters to help her. Because most yeah. of us don't use <laughs> the stuff we learn in school, right? So you forget all of it. Yeah, same I don't know, but <laughs> it's like we even have the um we even have a Filipino language. It's hard. It's even hard because we don't use it because it's it's a it's a national uh, language that we use. But we have a different dialect, and we also have they call it a subject mother tongue. They want to have the students deprooted to their origin. There are over a hundred dialects in the Philippines, so every every place is different. And if you're studying that, and you're studying also the national language, but you're exposed to kids who are speaking English, <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then people start talking to you in this language, and in this, in dialect, and it's pretty messed up. My eldest son, he, he can manage because... He's already a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. He's like in high school. So, but one, if he needs help, he asks for help. My youngest needs to be nurtured with his um, academics. Mm-hmm. And then this messenger from Facebook has been really useful. Um, that's where the parents or I, that's where we communicate on what's happening. And the teacher is there also in the chat room giving us an update all the stuff that needs to be complied. 
for the curriculum. Uh, ever since March 14, I haven't seen my youngest because he cannot go out since he's only nine. And What's the age? Yes. That, where you can go out? 20. 20, wow. So 21, you can go out oh. until the age of 59. That must be yes. really hard for young kids because they have so much energy that they need to expend. And and then the dad lives 10 kilometers from here, so it's quite far. They have to go through uh, different checkpoints. They're armed, you know, military armies, police officers. How do you feel about having these militarized people just walking around? Is it intimidating? No, no. It's actually, there are a lot of really stubborn people. They're very hard-headed. They just please because they're so entitled. They said that they're free to do this stuff, but they don't know it's the law. They actually do not do anything when it's before the curfew. But afterwards, that's when they get strict or people are not doing social distancing. With that being said, what do you see in the future for restaurants? So we're actually, my company is actually looking at economic studies for restaurants in Western world, comparing it to Western world. So we're not actually seeing it to what is going on on us. So it must yeah. be challenging because... It's an American franchise, but you're operating in the Philippines. And I think sometimes people in the Philippines have different values. Like I know in Japan and Korea, they tend to wear masks much more often because of the pollution. And so when it comes to these health crises, they're completely open to it but when it comes to American values they're more for freedom and they don't really want to abide by these rules how would you be able to implement western I, um, values like that in the Philippines because it's different right what is, what is actually really funny about it is that when it comes to food industry it's always like the same right it's it's the basic of food culinary. It's the cleanliness. It has to be like that, except for the mask. It's tough. It's even hard to talk when you have a mask on, right? Yeah, people were talking about how this is what it probably feels if you're deaf because you can't really see what the mouth movements, they're just using sign language and you don't get the same type of communication. People are saying that having this mask is almost similar to their experience because we don't get to see the expressions and everything on people's faces. That's true. And uh, it's even tougher if you're eating. Yeah. So um, in, in the culinary or in the food industry, we just follow the same discipline when it comes to food safety. I think that's going to change because of this. For sure. I know it's getting really late over there. Are there any last comments that you want to add? Mm, no, I'm okay.
Okay. I'm good? Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Not a problem. It's so nice to hear from you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Digital Story Experience. We want to give a huge shout out to our guests, Chelsea, Jared, Elena, and Chantal, for sharing their stories and insights. Make sure to tune in to our next episode where we dream about having an undo button in what could have been.